All right, let's take our Bibles to the book of Micah. The book of Micah. The book of Micah. And um, while you're turning there, also let me make mention, after the service, um, because we have the Father-Son breakfast on Saturday, uh, we'll need to pick up the chairs after the service. And so if there's any guys uh, that would be willing to stick around and help us do that, uh, we'd sure appreciate that. Um, and just think, just think, in just uh, maybe a month, month and a half, we won't have to do that anymore, right? Wouldn't that be great? We won't have to pick up the chairs anymore. Um, and uh, so uh, they've got um, all the lights in, but the two that they didn't order. So those are coming. Um, and uh, looking at getting the carpet and things put in. So uh, we're getting really close uh, on the auditorium over there, and so uh, really praying by the middle of July um, uh, we'll be able to be in the auditorium. I was talking to uh, Brother Tice today about our f- uh, family conference is coming up, and, uh, man, I'm really excited about uh, the family conference um, that we're doing in August with uh, Dr. and Mrs. Tice and uh, just some of the, the lessons that he's going to be bringing. And so it'll be on a Friday night. Um, on a, uh, we're, our first session will be like 7 o'clock on Friday night. And then it'll be all uh, Saturday morning starting at 9. We'll have several sessions there. Uh, we'll have lunch and then a, uh, another session afterwards. And then he's going to be with us all day on Sunday. And uh, Brother Tice is just, uh, I'm telling you, he's a very, uh, very unique guy uh, because... Um, he, God called him to Las Vegas um, and to start a church, and God just has really blessed uh, his ministry there, and, um, and he's got several books. Um, I, I think he was from, if I'm not mistaken, I think maybe he was from Las Vegas there or something, but um, just his desire to reach people that others just aren't reaching with the gospel, and even raising a family there. Can you imagine trying to be a Christian raising a Christian family in Las Vegas, and, uh, and yet uh, all of his kids are serving the Lord today. Um, and so just a really great testimony and a great church there in Las Vegas. Um, so the next time you're there, go to his... I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, um, some of you get that a little bit later, you know. <laughs> but, um, but I'm really looking forward to him being here. Um, and so I was telling him about that. I was like, really pray, really pray that we'll be in there by, uh, by the end of July, 1st of August and everything. And so, uh, but that, I'm really excited about that and him being with us. All right. Micah chapter four, Micah chapter four, we'll begin reading in verse number six. Last week we looked at verses one through five. Um, tonight we'll begin in verse number six. Uh, he says, in that day, saith the Lord, will I assemble her that halteth and I will gather her that is driven out and her that I have afflicted. And I'll make her that halted a remnant, and her that was cast far off a strong nation. And the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever. And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come. Even the first dominion, the kingdom, shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why dost thou cry out aloud? Is there no king in thee? Is thy counselor perished? For pangs have taken thee as a woman in travail. Be in pain. Labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. For now shalt thou go forth out of the city, and thou shalt dwell in the field, and thou shalt go even to Babylon. There shalt thou be delivered. There the Lord shall redeem thee from the hand of thine enemies. So again, we saw last week as we were going through verses 1 through 5 how he's talking about, back up in verse number uh, 1, he says, But in the last days it shall come to pass, right? That last days is referring to a specific time period, right? This is referring to the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Uh, He's talking about how Jesus Christ, when he says that mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and the people shall flow into it. And he's talking about this this millennial reign of Jesus Christ that's going to take place, uh, and how Christ's kingdom is going to be exalted, and uh, people will flow from all over to come uh, to, to listen to the words of Jesus Christ and to, to be taught his ways, right? Um, and we, we read through that in the first uh, few verses here. Um, but notice what he says in verse number six. In that day, saith the Lord, I will, ass- will I assemble her that halteth, and I will gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted. So when Micah says in verse number six, in that day, 
What day is Micah speaking of? What is that day? What is that day? Anybody know? Yeah? Well, so remember, there's, there's two times that when we think about the return of Christ, Jesus is going to come for the, the bride, the church, at the beginning of the tribulation. And he comes in the clouds and he takes us. We are raptured out. But then seven years later, at the end of the tribulation, was Jesus going to come back to the earth, right? He's going to come back to the earth and he's going to physically stand on the earth and he's going to begin his kingdom. And so when he says in that day, right, he's still speaking of the millennial reign of Christ, just like what we saw up in verse number one. In the last days, it shall come to pass, right? In that day, he says, right? That day, referring to the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, okay? And he says, the Lord, saith the Lord, will I assemble her that halteth, and I will gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted? So think about this. Who is this that is halt? The word halt means lame, right? Who has been driven out or, or cast out? Who has been afflicted? It's Israel, right? We're talking about Israel. God's speaking about Israel. So he's, he's referring to Israel here. He uses, that for, he uses that term her, right? She is halted, and I will gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted. So he's talking about Israel, um, and he's talking about how uh, they are going to be driven out. They're going to be, uh, the judgment of God is going to come. And, of course, we know that Jerusalem would fall uh, around 586 B.C., um, and would be in exile uh, in Babylon. And then later, uh, there would be even a longer exile, if we could call it, um, after the Romans destroyed uh, Jerusalem in 70 AD, and they were driven out. And uh, really, Israel had no home for uh, really over almost, over almost 1,500 years, right? Um, and so there was, a, there was a short exile, you could say, when they were uh, removed from their homeland and uh, brought into Babylon, but then later in AD 70, when Rome came in to destroy uh, Jerusalem and destroy the temple, then that wasn't until uh, the early or the middle of the 1900s that Israel was again able to be brought back and recognized even as a nation. Of course, there's even some countries that don't even recognize her as a nation, right? But I want you to think about this. So he says, in that day, I will assemble her, right? I'm going to bring her back. I will gather her that is driven out and her that I've afflicted, right? And I'll make her that halted a remnant and her that was cast far off a strong nation. Think about what's happening. The Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever. Think about this. Go with me to the book of Zephaniah. There's several passages. I think it's important that that we understand the book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 3, notice in verse number 19, Zephaniah chapter 3 in verse number 19, he says, Behold, at that time I will undo all that afflict thee, and I will save her that halteth, and gather her that was driven out, and I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. And at that time will I bring you again, even in that time that I gather you, for I, will, for I will make you a name and a praise among all people of the earth when I turn back your captivity before your eyes, saith the Lord. So again, Zephaniah speaks of this time that Israel is going to be brought back, right? Uh, Israel is going to be brought back, and he says uh, there's going to be praise, there's going to be fame um, for, from those that really tried to put them to shame, right? Um, he says, I'll bring you again, uh, gather you back. Uh, and again, as we talked a little bit about this last week, that this has not yet happened, right? Israel has not, uh, as a nation, as a whole, has not returned. There, there are more Jews, if we would say that, there are more Jews or Israelis outside of Israel than there are inside of Israel, okay? Uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, I gave you kind of the statistics of how many, uh, there's only, there's less than 7 million Jews in Israel, right? There's over 17, there are about 17 million Jews uh, around the world, so more Jews are outside of Israel than there are inside of Israel, okay? Um, but he says there's going to come a time when they're going to be brought. And again, he uses that same phrase, I will undo all that afflict thee. I will save her that halteth, gather her that was driven out. Look back in the book of Ezekiel. In the book of Ezekiel. 
chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. Notice in verse number 11. He says, For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is uh, among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and in all the habitated places of the country. I will feed them in a good pasture and upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be. There, there shall they lie in a good fold and in a fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. I will seek that which was lost and bring again that which was driven away. Will bind up that which was broken and will strengthen that which was sick but i will destroy the fat and the strong and i will feed them with judgment so again ezekiel speaks of this as well right and if you think about this passage again this this passage sounds a little familiar doesn't it as we were reading through that did it did it spark maybe another passage in your mind what's that psalm 23 right psalms 23 what does the psalmist say right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now again, when we think of Psalms 23, we think, oh, that's a, that's a great passage for Christians. No, it's not for Christians. It's for Israel. That, that passage is for Israel. Now, we can look at it and we can say, yes, that's, that's a wonderful passage, and we can, we can correlate it with some uh, verses in the New Testament. But Psalms 23 was written to Israel, right? And we spoke about how Psalms 23 is, uh, is a, what we would say, a tribulation psalm. Think about what he's saying as Israel is going through tribulation. They are really literally going through the valley of the shadow of death, right? And yet they, he's saying God is going to be with us, right? And then as they go through that, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. What's he saying? There's going to come a time when we come out of that valley of the shadow of death. There's going to come a time when God is going to deliver us. And this is what Ezekiel is saying. This is what uh, he says here. I'll bring them out from the people, gather them from the countries, will bring them to their land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel. I'll feed them in a good pasture. He's that, that shepherd that is seeking the lost sheep, right? Um, and, and again, there, there, yes, there is a correlation to uh, Jesus in the New Testament being the good shepherd, right? And we understand that. But here he's speaking of what's going to happen with Israel, okay? And so you have this, this passage here as Micah is saying, look, um, in, in that day, Micah says, of course, this is God speaking, but he says, in that day, will I assemble her that halteth, will gather her that is driven out, her that I've afflicted, make her that halt a remnant, and her that was cast far off a strong nation, and the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth. And so God is saying, there's going to come a time when Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is going to reign in Mount Zion, in Jerusalem, Okay. Now, of course, we know that hasn't happened yet. Is, when Jesus came the first time, he was rejected, right? He was rejected by Israel. When he comes, what we would say, um, the second coming, what uh, we understand there's two parts to the second coming. There's the second coming, which is the rapture, which we talked about, where Jesus comes just in the clouds and he catches us away. But then the second coming to the earth, literally, is what he's, Micah's speaking to here. He's going to reign in Mount Zion, over Israel, okay? Now, what's really interesting, notice at the end of verse number six, why does God say at the end of verse six that I have afflicted? Did you notice that? He says, I'm gonna assemble her that halteth, will gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted. Again, who is the her? Israel. God is saying he afflicted her? God saying he was the one that afflicted Israel? Yes, that's absolutely right. The judgment that they had received and that they were going to receive was brought on them 
by God. Now, did God use the, uh, the, the Assyrians and did God use the Chaldeans? Yes. But it was God that brought this judgment upon them, right? God is the one that brought this. Well, why would God allow this tragedy then if he really loved them? If, he, if these were God's chosen people, why would God allow this tragedy, right? I mean, if, if God was really compassionate, uh, why would God afflict them? Well, it's very easy. They ignored God. They ignored him. They rejected him, right? And this is what, he, this is what he's saying. When, when we ignore God, God is long-suffering. God is merciful, right? We understand that. But there comes a point when God says, you're not just going to keep rejecting and rejecting. You're not just going to keep ignoring and ignoring. There is going to come judgment. Judgment is going to come. And this is what God is saying. They rejected him. They ignored him. And God could not just condone and look over their sin. God had warned them what would happen if they followed the path of those before them. He warned them uh, what would happen if they rejected him. I mean, before they even went into the promised land, God warned them. He said, look, if you, if you follow the way of the people that were there, and if you do what they did, you can expect the same results that they got. But if you will listen to me, and if you will follow me, and if you will trust me, and if you will obey me, I will bless you. But if you do what they've done, you're going to get what they got. And this is why God is saying, I have afflicted them, right? God afflicted them. It wasn't that God didn't care about them. It wasn't that God was unloving. No, God was afflicting them because he was a loving God, right? And this is what he's saying here. But they didn't care. They didn't care about God. They didn't care about what God had said. And so God would bring the affliction upon them. By the way, isn't this what we find as well in Hebrews chapter 12? When you go back to Hebrews chapter 12, in Hebrews chapter 12, notice in verse number 5. And by the way, this passage here, if, if it's possible for a person to lose salvation, you might as well just take this passage and rip it out of the Bible. Because it doesn't make any sense. If you can lose your salvation, this passage makes no sense at all, right? In Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 5, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. What's he saying? God's children... When they go astray, God's children, when they reject, God's children, when they ignore, God's children, when they say, God, I'm not listening to you right now, God says, what will he do? He will bring discipline. He brings discipline, right? Now, again, think with me. If, if it's possible for you and I to lose our salvation, then are we a child of God? Not if we can lose our salvation, right? If we can lose our salvation, we're no longer a child of God. So then how can God discipline us as his children? Not possible. Because if we lose our salvation, then we're not God's children anymore, and so God can't discipline us as his children. But yet he says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? You know what he says in verse number 7? Every child of God receives chastening. Every one of us. Why? Because we all ignore God. We all say, God, I'm not going to listen to you today. We all say, God, I, just, I don't care what you have to say. God, I know it's in your word, but I don't care. I'm just going to ignore it. I'm just going to turn away from it. We all do that, right? Here, why? Because of our sin nature. We are still sinners, right? And even though we are God's children, we still mess up right? How many of you, if you have children, how, how many of you have a perfect child who has never disobeyed, never backtalked, never argued, never thrown a temper tantrum, never lied? I don't have to go any farther, do I? I had you at the first one, didn't I? Yeah. You didn't have to teach them to do those things, right? Now, we can say, oh, but they're so cute. 
and they're so sweet. And then they grow up to be devils, you know? And nobody had to teach them that. It's just natural, right? But when they lied and when they disobeyed and when they rebelled and when they threw the temper tantrum and all these things, they didn't stop being your children, but guess what you do? You discipline them because you hate them, right? No, of course not. You do it because you love them, right? So many times when we, we look at God's discipline and God's affliction in our lives, like what he's talking about here, we think, well, God just doesn't care. No, he does care. And that's why he brings the affliction. That's why he brings the discipline in our life. Because he sees that as a child of God, we're not doing right. We're not doing what he wants. We're ignoring him. We're not listening to him. We're rebelling against him. And so God says exactly this. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers. You say, well, I've never been disciplined by God. Well, then I'd check your salvation. Because if you've never been disciplined by God, you're not God's child. He said all are partakers. Now, unless you got saved like two seconds ago, (laughs) right? But all. Why? Because we're all sinners. We still ignore. We still rebel. But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us. We gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Again, God says there's a purpose behind it. He's trying to help us to be holy. He's trying to help us to be right and be, live righteous lives and godly lives. And when we ignore him and when we, we turn away from him and we rebel against him, God says, that's not going to work. That, that's not holiness. That's not godliness. That's not righteousness. So he brings chastisement. And of course, he says, now no chastening for the present seemed to be joyous. Amen to that, right? But grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Look, God's Just as God is telling Israel, look, you ignore me, you reject me, you know exactly what you're supposed to do. It wasn't that Israel didn't know what they were supposed to do. They knew. In fact, they even said, we're God's people. God's not going to do anything to us. They knew who they were. They knew what God expected. They just didn't care. And I'm afraid that's the way many Christians are living today. We know what God says. We know what God expects, and we just say, I don't care, God. I'm going to live the way I want to live. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you want, and we just tune God out. Well, friend, can I tell you, when you do that, do not be surprised when there's judgment that comes. Don't be surprised if judgment comes. And this is what he says, I have afflicted them. He said, now I will assemble her that halteth. I will gather her that is driven out and her that I have afflicted. God said, hey, I just want you to know this, this was me. I did this. It wasn't the Babylonians. It wasn't Nebuchadnezzar. It wasn't the Assyrians. It was me. God said, I did this to you because of your rebellion. I did this to you because you have ignored me. God did care. And we cannot just continue living how we want to live, ignoring what God says and thinking that nothing's going to happen to us. And that's how so many Christians live today. Well, I know I'm going to heaven. I'm just going to live how I want. Don't matter what God says. God, you know, God's not going to do anything. He's, he's a God of love. Oh, he's a God of love. There's no doubt about that. But he's also a God of justice. He's a God of judgment, Right? We can't just continue ignoring him and not think anything's going to happen. If we continue ignoring him and being disobedient to him, then we have no one to blame but ourselves when his discipline comes. It's not God's fault. Don't blame God. No, we try to. Well, God, if you really cared about me, you you wouldn't do this. No, God is doing it because he cares about you. 
God's trying to, to stir your heart. God's trying to help you and change you. Say, hey, I do care about you, and this is why I'm, I'm making your life miserable. This is why things aren't going the way you expect them to go. Hey, this is what's going on. I'm doing this to you because you are not right. You're not listening to me. Well, God, you just don't love me. No, he does. And God says, I want you to know, I'm doing this, by the way. I'm doing it because I love you. We have no one to blame but ourselves. He says in verse number 7, I will make her that halteth for a remnant, and her that was cast far off a strong nation. God's going to bring them back. The halted, the cast off, he's going to bring them back into the land and make a strong nation of them from the remnant that were faithful to him. And he says, he, the Lord, shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever. God says, I'm going to bring them back. Just as it was I who afflicted you, just as it was I who drove you out, I will bring you back. I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to be the one that brings you back into the land. Because again, he says, I do care about you. And I know that by driving you out through this affliction, it's going to help you to turn back to me. And I will be the one that bring you back. That remnant that is faithful, that is holding to the word of God, that is being true. He says, I'm going to bring you back. and I'm going to make a great, a strong nation of them. And he says, I will rule. The Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth, even for ever. It's amazing. Go with me to the book of Revelation. Again, we understand that this reigning of Jesus Christ is going to come back, is going to take place at the end of the tribulation, at the beginning of what we call the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 19, here it is in verse number 11. And I saw heaven open, John says, and behold, a white horse now, it's really interesting because when you go back and you, you read, you'll find that, I, I think it is, um, I can't remember if it's uh, Isaiah or Zechariah, um, don't quote me on that, but one of them talks about when the Lord comes and he's going to come on, the, on riding on a foal, right? This is not that time. That was the first time he came. Notice what he's writing this time. This is not a foal. This is on a white horse. This horse is prepared for battle, right? And the, he that sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Uh, when Jesus came the first time, he didn't come to make war. He came as a baby. This time, he's not coming as a baby. He's coming to make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. I'm telling you, if you don't know how to ride, you better learn. You better learn, right? Clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. I love that. I love that. The armies of, the, of heaven come with him, and we just sit there and watch. <laughs> we don't do nothing, right? I mean, the armies are coming. We just go, Jesus. <laughs> we're, just, we're just the cheerleaders. He doesn't need the army. We just get to be there to witness the power that Jesus has, right? Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of the king, and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast, here's that false, uh, the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, the Antichrist, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, which he had deceived them that had received the mark of the beast. And them that worshipped his image, those both were cast into, alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. 
and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years shall be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones. This is part of the millennium now. I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. This is exactly what Micah is speaking about here. That he is going to reign in Zion from henceforth even forever. Jesus Christ is going to come in power and might. And he is going to defeat those nations. He's going to defeat the Antichrist and the false prophet. And all those nations that gathered together with them. And then he is going to set up his kingdom on the earth. This kingdom that Israel is looking for, the kingdom of David, right? The the Davidic covenant that God made that there would be a king from the line of David. That's going to be Jesus Christ. And he's going to sit upon that throne and he's going to rule and reign. Look in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Watch what Daniel says in verse number 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Who's Daniel speaking of? Jesus Christ. His kingdom is going to be forever, right? Go to Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah. Look, if you think there's only one place in Scripture where the Bible speaks about this, oh, man, it's all over the place. In Zechariah chapter 14, notice in verse number 3, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. So this isn't the rapture. This is that... When Jesus comes to the earth, he's going to set his feet upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. There shall be a very great valley and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half toward the south. Go down to verse number nine. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day, there shall be one Lord and his name one. Hey, in that day, there's going to be one Lord. There's going to be one king. You're not going to have a bunch of presidents and a bunch of kings. No, there's going to be one. His name is Jesus. The King of kings and Lord of lords is going to come, and he's going to rule and reign upon this earth. This is what Micah is speaking about. He said, hey, yes, it was the Lord that afflicted you, and the Lord is the one that that drove you out because of, uh, of ignoring God and rejecting God. But hey, I want you to know, just because God has driven you out, there's going to be those that he remembers, the remnant that are faithful, that he's going to bring back again. Now go back with me to the book of Micah. Micah chapter 4. Notice in verse number 8. He says, And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion, the kingdom, shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Here again, he says, hey, it's coming to Jerusalem. This kingdom is going to be in Jerusalem. Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign. But watch verse number 9. Now, Why dost thou cry out aloud? Is there no king in thee? Is thy counselor perished? What's he saying? Think about it. What's he saying? He's just said that they're going to be driven out. And he's saying, hey, God asked them, why are you crying out? When you're going to be driven out, when you're going to be in exile, why are you crying out? Why are you complaining? And look what he says. Is there no king? Remember, it, again, go, go back with me. Think about what Micah has said. Chapter 3, verse number 1. And I said, here I pray you, O heads of Jacob, ye princes of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know judgment who hate the good and love the evil? 
He said, it was, it was the kings that led you into this. It was the leaders that led you into this. Where, where are your leaders? Where are your counselors? Where are the ones that said, oh, no, you don't need to follow God. Oh, no, don't listen, to, don't listen to Micah. Don't listen to the prophets. Don't listen to these. Where are your counselors now, God says? Now that you're in exile, now that you're in persecution, now you're going to cry out and say, oh, help us, God. God says, hey, where's the ones that led you into this? Where are they? Why aren't, why aren't you calling out to them to help you? Isn't that interesting? Why aren't you calling out to them to help you? Because they know they can't. They know they can't help them. There's only one who can, and that's God. And that's why they're crying out. But God's saying, where is your king? Where is your counselors? Where is the prophets that led you astray? They're going to cry out. He says, as a woman in childbirth, because of the pain that they will endure. Just as a, as a woman endures pain in childbirth, he says, you're going you're gonna to be in agony. You're going to be crying out in pain, calling out to God. Hey, where, where's your king? Where, where's, where's your counselors? Where's your prophets? Remember, he says, those that led, they, they led you to err from God, they, they, they were just in it for money. Where are they now? Those that cried, peace, peace, where are they? They're not around, are they? They're not there anymore. In fact, God told them, this is really interesting. God told them that Babylon would come and conquer them through the prophet Jeremiah. Then think about this. Watch what he says in verse 10. Be in pain. He says, I'm not relieving you of it. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. He said, you're going to endure pain. You're going to endure this judgment because you chose to ignore me. You chose to reject me. You're going to, I'm not just going to oh, magically make it go away. No, God says, you brought this on yourself. You get to endure it. But for now shalt thou go forth out of the city and thou shalt dwell in the field and thou shalt go even to Babylon. There shalt thou be delivered. God says, here's what's going to happen. Because of your disobedience, you're going to be driven out. You're going to be delivered into Babylon. And again, hold, hold your place here in Micah and go back to, with Jeremiah with me because this is really fascinating. In Jeremiah chapter 37. Again, it's just, it's just amazing how so many of these, these books intertwine together, right? In Jeremiah chapter 37, he says, And King Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, reigned instead of Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made king in the land of Judah. So here, Babylon has come. This is not the exile yet. They have conquered them a little bit, but they haven't completely taken them into exile. But neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land did hearken unto the words of the Lord, which he spake by the prophet Jeremiah. So here is, even though Micah said, hey, Babylon's going to come. And guess what? Babylon came. And they still didn't believe the prophets. They still didn't believe them. Even as Jeremiah is speaking here. And Zedekiah the king sent um, uh, Jehuchal, the son of Shalemiah, and Zephaniah, the son of Messiah, the priest, to the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Pray now unto the Lord our God for us. <laughs> they didn't listen to him before, but now, Jeremiah, pray to God for us. Now Jeremiah came in and went out among the people, for they had not put him into prison. Then Pharaoh's army was come forth out of Egypt. And when the Chaldeans that besieged Jerusalem heard tidings of them, they departed from Jerusalem. So here comes Egypt. The Chaldeans hear of the Egyptian army coming, and the Chaldeans say, okay, we're going to leave. Well, that, then Israel thinks, well, hey, we're okay now. They didn't, nothing happened. Then came the word of the Lord unto the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Thus shall ye say to the king of Judah that sent you unto me to inquire of me, Behold, Pharaoh's army, which has come forth to help you, shall return to Egypt into their own land, and the Chaldeans shall come again and fight against this city and take it and burn it with fire. Thus saith the Lord, Deceive not yourselves, saying the Chaldeans shall surely depart from us, for they shall not depart. He said, look, you think that just because the Egyptian army came and now the Chaldeans have gone, you think, oh, everything's going to be okay. No, no, no. He said, it's not. They are going to come back again. And watch what he says. For though ye had, though ye had smitten the whole army of the Chaldeans that fight against you, and there remain but wounded men among them, yet should they rise up every man in his tent and burn this city with fire. He said, even if you went out and defeated the Chaldean army and all they had was just wounded soldiers, he said, I would make it so those wounded soldiers would be able to defeat you. 
you will be defeated. But here's what's really interesting. Go with me to chapter 38. He says, Then Shephatiah, the son of Matan, and Gedaliah, the son of Pasher, and Jucal, the son of Shalamah, and Pasher, the son of Micaiah, heard the words that Jeremiah had spoken unto all the people. And we don't have time to read everything. You can go back and read it yourself. Saying, this is what Jeremiah said. Thus saith the Lord, He that remaineth in this city shall die by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. But he that goeth forth to the Chaldeans shall live. For he shall have his life for a prey and shall live. Thus saith the Lord, this city shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. Therefore the princes said unto the king, we beseech thee, let this man be put to death. For thus he weakeneth the hands of the men of war that remain in the city. What's Jeremiah saying? He said, look guys, here's here's the deal. This city is going to be taken, but it can be taken one of two ways. You can either surrender yourself and you can go into exile alive or you can try to fight and you will die. That's what he said. He said, you can, it's going to be taken. God's already said that, but it's going to be taken one of two ways. Either you can surrender and just go into exile and you'll, you'll, you'll be alive. Your children will be alive. Your wives will be alive. You, uh, everybody's going to be alive if you'll surrender. But if you don't surrender and you fight, you're all going to die going to die. And of course, the princes and other people, everybody else listening to this says, hey, Jeremiah, he, he must be on the side of the Chaldeans. He's trying to weaken our army and, and get them to surrender. No, he's just speaking the word of God. He said, you're going to be destroyed, but you can either go in one of two ways. You can go in submission to God or you can go dead. How many times when God tries to bring affliction into our life and God tries to bring trials, do we fight God? We fight him. Instead of surrendering to him and saying, God, you're right. The reason why this is happening to me is because I have been disobedient to you. I have been ignoring you. I've not been living right. Instead of submitting to him and surrendering, what do we do? We fight. God said, look, judgment's coming. I'm going to discipline you, but you can either go through it a little bit easier if you'll just surrender to me, or you can fight and fight and fight, and it's going to wear you out. And this is exactly what Jerusalem did, or Israel did. Look in verse number 14. Then Zedekiah the king sent and took Jeremiah the prophet unto him into the third entry that is in the house of the Lord. And the king said unto Mary, I will ask thee a thing, hide nothing from thee. By the way, we don't have time to read it, but the king had just put him in jail because of what he said. And then he comes back and says, oh, tell me the truth, Jeremiah, what's going to happen, <laughs> right? Then Jeremiah said unto Zedekiah, if I declared unto thee, wilt thou not surely put me to death? He said, if I tell you the truth, you're going to kill me. You ever been in a rock and a hard place? Yeah, that's where Jeremiah's at. If I tell you the truth, you're going to kill me, right? It's better for me just to stay in jail. And if I give thee counsel, wilt thou not hearken unto me? If, even if I tell you, you're not going to listen. So Zedekiah the king swear secretly unto Jeremiah, saying, As the Lord liveth that made us this soul, I will not put thee to death, neither will I give thee into the hand of these men that seek the life. Then said Jeremiah to Zedekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, if thou wilt assuredly go forth into, or unto the king of Babylon's princes, then thy soul shall live, and this city shall not be burned with fire, and thou shalt live in thine house. But if thou wilt not go forth to the king of Babylon's princes, then shall this city be given into the hand of the Chaldeans and they shall burn it with fire and thou shalt not escape out of their hand. God said, you've got two choices. Judgment's here. You can't escape the judgment, but you have two ways to go through it. You can either surrender and take it and learn from it or you can fight and you'll die. I'll give you a Two guesses what Israel did. They did not surrender. Jerusalem was destroyed, burnt to the ground. The temple, destroyed. Why? Because through the judgment of God, God says, look, you've ignored me. You've rejected me. Judgment is going to come. Discipline is going to come. But here's how you can go through it. One of two ways. You can either surrender 
and live. You can either surrender and recognize what God is trying to do and say, Lord, I'm wrong. I've disobeyed you. Yes, I understand. I deserve this. And so, God, whatever it takes to go through this and be right with you, whatever it takes, I'm willing to do it, God. And I'm going to learn from this. And I'm not going to ignore you. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to just keep doing what I want to do. I'm going to do what you say. Or you can fight and get mad at God and say, God, it's all your fault. God, this is all your fault. And you can get mad and you can complain. You can bellyache and you can gripe. God says, look, either way, you're going to go through it. Either way, you're going through the judgment. Either way, you're going to be disciplined. (laughs) When I was younger, I didn't get very many whoopings. If you believe that, i got some property for you to sell, too. Um, I'd like to make a profit off of it. <laughs> I, I remember I got, I got whooped quite a bit. And it was my fault. <laughs> but I can remember when I would get ready to get a whooping, my dad would tell me, he said, look, you can either stand there and you can take it and get it done with, or you can fight it. And we're just going to keep on going and keep on going and keep on going. I did not do the wise thing. <laughs> and when I could have maybe only got five or six licks, I probably ended up getting 20 or 30. <laughs> if I would have just surrendered and said, hey, I deserve this. I'm just going to take it. It would have been over. But instead, I had to fight it. I had to fight it. Isn't that what we do? God says, you're ignoring me. You're not listening. You're not obeying. Hello? I'm trying to work. And you know the Holy Spirit's been working in your heart. And we just push him to the side. No, I'm not going to yield. I'm not going to surrender. God says, all right, then I'm going to bring judgment. I'm going to bring discipline into your life. And we can take it one of two ways. If we need to surrender, we're still going to be judged. We're still going to be disciplined. It's going to be a whole different process because we're going to learn through it. We're going to surrender to God. Or we can fight and fight and fight and die. That's what Israel did. They would not surrender, and they died. And there's a lot of Christians. God is trying to work in their hearts and work in their lives. And instead of just surrendering and saying, God, you're right, I deserve this. I've been wrong. I haven't been listening. I haven't been obeying. We just fight, and we fight, and we get hard, and we get bitter towards God. We get bitter towards the things of God. God said, hey, it's your own fault. It's your own fault. I brought it. I'm bringing this affliction. But remember, it's because he loves you. He's trying to help us to become more like his son, Jesus Christ. And fighting isn't going to help us become more like him. Jeremiah said, if you'll surrender, you're still going to go into captivity but you'll be alive. They said, no, we're not going to surrender. We're going to fight. And they died. Be in pain. O labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. You're bringing us upon yourself. Watch what he says. There shalt thou be delivered. God said, I'm going to deliver you to Babylon. But he also says at the end of verse number 10, there the Lord shall redeem thee from the hand of thine enemies. God said, I'm not going to leave you there. I'm not going to leave you there. I will bring you back. I'll bring you back. Wouldn't it be wonderful as Christians if we would just surrender and yield to God and let God bring us back a whole lot quicker than having to stay there year after year after year after year? 
It's no fun. But God says, it's your own fault. If we would just surrender, listen to God, stop ignoring Him. God said, yes, there's going to be pain. And yes, I'm going to deliver you to Babylon. But I want you to know, I'm not going to leave you there. God said, I'll bring you back. He's talked about this whole, this whole kingdom he's going to bring. I'll bring you back. But just surrender. Yield yourself to me. Let me be in control. Don't ignore God. Don't ignore when he speaks to your heart. Don't fight him. Surrender. Yield to it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you just help us tonight, Lord, to recognize how important this is. Lord, that we, when we ignore you and we reject you and we disobey you, we can expect nothing but discipline. Because you love us, because you cannot let us stay where we are. Father, I pray that you'd work in our hearts, Lord, tonight, that we'd be surrendered to you. The piano just begins to play softly with her heads bowed and her eyes closed tonight. Maybe God's speaking to your heart. Are you ignoring him? Rejecting him? disobeying him we know what we're supposed to do we've got we've got it right here in his word and yet we just ignore and disobey we reject it and then we wonder why god has to bring discipline and we try to blame him for it god says it's your fault So how will, we, how will we look at that discipline we're going through? Will we surrender to him? Yield to him? Or are we just going to keep fighting and keep ignoring him? 